All right, Alexander, it was a busy uh, last week for the Kremlin, uh, for Putin. I, I kind of lost track where he was speaking, to be quite honest. Um, we, we've got all the sound bites and all the statements that people are, are, are talking about, but I lost track of where he said what after a while because there were so many events and so many speeches that were uh, taking place. Um, he did say uh, during an interview with Rossiya One that uh, that Russia is ready to negotiate with everyone. They always have been. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why the collective West is picking up on this and saying, you see, uh, Russia is ready to, to surrender or they're ready to negotiate. It's going badly for them. This isn't really a deviation from anything the, the Kremlin has been saying for the, for the last, I was going to say the last 10 months, but I don't know, you could say the last eight years since Minsk uh, 1 and 2. I think the Kremlin has been saying we need to, to solve Ukraine um, and we need to do that at the negotiating table. Anyway, that was picked up a lot by the collective West. Um, Lavrov gave an interview to TASS uh, the other day after the interview that Putin gave uh, with uh, Rossiya One. And Lavrov uh, pretty much said the same thing that, uh, that you know, we, we understand what the realities are on the ground and we're ready to, to negotiate, understanding the realities on the ground and to find a solution. But if, uh, if the other side is not ready for this, well, then he said the army will... We'll sort this out. That's what he said. The army will, will sort this out. That got picked up uh, a lot as well. And uh, let's see. Um, we have Kaluba, the foreign minister of Ukraine, who is uh, saying that it's time for a UN peace summit. Negotiated, brokered, managed by Guterres, the secretary general. The interesting part about this peace summit, though, is that Russia is not invited to the peace summit until until a tribunal is held and the uh, the administration, the Putin administration, is um, prosecuted for alleged war crimes. Only after that takes place can uh, Russia then be allowed to sit down at the uh, table for this peace summit. And Russia's response to this, Alexander, is uh, from the UN is that uh, if there's any country that really isn't needed at the negotiating table for a UN peace summit, it's Ukraine and not Russia. And I think this is a very clever response from uh, the Russian yeah. foreign ministry because they're basically saying, you know, look, we, we know that Ukraine isn't really calling the shots on anything. So so they're not really needed at the negotiating table. Who's needed is is the collective West and specifically the, uh, the United States. That's who we need to negotiate with because those are the people that are really calling the shots. So I thought that was a clever, but also true, uh, yes. comeback yes. statement yes. to Kaluba's idea for UN peace plan. So a really busy week, a really busy past couple of weeks in, uh, well, speeches and statements and events. Absolutely. I mean, I have to say the Kremlin has been more busy over the last three weeks or so than I've ever seen it. I mean, there's been meeting after meeting, um, been more important appointments made, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But I mean, we are now seeing a massive shifting of gears in Russia. And it's not just about the war in Ukraine anymore. I mean, it's going 
beyond that and you know we need to we, we need to just talk, touch on this in a moment but let's first of all talk about you know let's 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 start you know from the sublime to the ridiculous let's start with the ridiculous which is Kaleba's so-called peace plan it's interesting that he's roping in Guterres who is the UN secretary general now Guterres is I believe he's from Portugal I'm not absolutely sure about this but anyway he takes a very very pro western pro-Ukrainian line. We all know that he does. And it's fairly well known that the Russians are annoyed with him. And so are others, apparently like the Chinese. They're not particularly impressed by Guterres. And I don't think he'd be particularly happy that Kuleba has come up with this latest plan. But it's the usual thing Ukraine does now. It fights everything in PR terms. So Kuleba comes along, he says, let's have a UN peace proposal. Let's have a peace summit. Of course, it's not really a peace summit at all. He's talking about war crimes, tribunals and all of that. We know that there can't be a peace summit. And, you know, excluding the major party in this conflict, which is Russia, from this peace summit tells us, you know, that this simply isn't going to happen. But the amazing thing, and... Why the Ukrainians persist in doing this is I've been reading the British media, for example. I don't know. I've been read about the, the US media about this, but they've been reporting Kaleba's proposals as if they were serious proposals, <laughs> as if this is an actual plan. <laughs> Just as, you know, remember um, Zelensky said that he's coming up with a 10-point, or is it three-point? I can, I never remember. Anyway, Three-point peace plan, which is basically Russia collapses, <laughs> capitulates, whatever it is. But again, this is being reported in the Western media, at least in the British media, as a serious peace proposal. <laughs> and that is the story that is being communicated, at least to the British public, when you go into it and you unravel it and you break it down, it becomes clear that it's completely absurd. Kaleba knows it's absurd. Guterres, I suspect, is not happy to be dragged into this and to be used in this way. The Russians, as you correctly say, have responded cleverly and in a way that will carry traction in their own country and around the world. But the Western audience which is having this filtered, these these things filtered to them. What they will know is, what they will hear is, is that the Ukrainians are coming up with a peace plan, that they're trying to set up a peace summit, that they're doing this at the United Nations, that the United Nations brings the whole world community, which must mean that the Russians are isolated. So this is the game that the Ukrainians are playing. It's not serious. It's not real. When they do these sort of things, what that tells you is that they're not serious about peace. They're not interested in negotiations at all. But to a Western audience, which, as I said, is having this story filtered to them in a particular way, I can't say that this fails. You can see again Zelensky's PR advisors, these you know multiple Western PR consultancies, American PR consultancies that are apparently advising him. They come up with these ideas. They're spun out from Kiev. The Western media picks them up and they get a few headlines and they reinforce the story of poor 
innocent Ukraine attacked by the aggressive Russian bear. Ukraine is trying to set up a peace plan. The UN is somehow involved and it's the Russians who are refusing to talk. So that's so I you know, I have to say at some level it works, but in itself it is completely absurd. That's what I want to say about that. Now, let's go from the PR to the substance, because what we're seeing coming out of the Kremlin is lots and lots of substance. And in my opinion, Lavrov's latest thing is extremely important. And I say why, because, yes, Putin said, and these two comments by Putin and Lavrov are clearly coordinated. They're clearly planned to, you know, complement each other. So Putin says, yes, we're very happy. We're willing to sit down with everybody, anybody to talk peace. Though he's also said in the past, and he's repeating now, there is this major trust issue. Merkel strung us along. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to have find have to find some way to overcome that. But we've never ruled out negotiations a diplomatic solution. And this has been the consistent Russian position, as you say, all the way back to 2014 when the conflict started. But Lavrov says, look, if you're not prepared to negotiate, you're not prepared to sit down with us, if you're not prepared to talk to us on the basis of the actual situation on the ground, in other words, if you're not prepared to recognize Crimea, Donbass, Zaporozhye, Kherson regions as no longer part of Ukraine, then the Russian army will ultimately dictate the outcome. <laughs> now, that is the first time I've seen it put by a Russian official over the course of this conflict in such a straightforward way. Because what Lavrov is essentially saying is, look, if we don't get a realistic peace proposal from Ukraine, then we will impose our own solution upon Ukraine, and it will be a solution imposed through our army, through the military. The military will do it. And I, the Russians, I, I mean, with the, the, the build-up of their forces, which is ongoing with this build-up of this strategic reserve, with the cranking out of the weapon systems that we were talking about in the last program we did discussing all of this, they are certain <laughs> that they will be able to impose this solution on Ukraine eventually. And I've no doubt about that, that they are right. So that's, that's where we are. So the Russians say, you know, we're prepared to talk about peace, unlike the Ukrainians who come up with crazy proposals. We are realistic. We're serious. We, we want to see peace. But if we don't get it, we will ultimately impose a solution through military force, which it's difficult to see how it can be done without the total surrender of Ukraine. And well, uh, we have uh, a big appointment to uh, to the Kremlin and to this position, a new position to manage the uh, the military uh, industry in Russia. And yes, yes. Of Dmitry Medvedev, and th this is a signal that that Russia is very serious about um, about defending its it, itself, but it, it's very serious about the long term. A prospect for continued war beyond yes. Ukraine, 
I, yes. I think Russia understands that, you know, once Ukraine is, this situation is sorted out, it's not going to end there. And so they're, they're putting all the, all the people in place and the positions are, are, are being created so that they're prepared to, to fight what is going to be, um, it seems, a, a war which will last for the remainder of this decade. And that don't mean like yes. a war, an open war, but constant yes. flare-ups, constant proxy wars, sanctions are going to go away. All, all of these things are going to continue to, uh, to be fought, yes. and, and Russia seems to be Indeed. preparing for that. Indeed, absolutely. Now, this is an absolutely key appointment, and the important point to make, and you've made it, is that this is a permanent appointment. This isn't an appointment which is simply intended for the duration of this conflict in Ukraine. It's a permanent position that will continue to be filled beyond the end of this conflict in Ukraine. Now, the, the, the appointment is this. There is in Russia a military industrial commission. This is the body within the, not, not the Russian government, but you know, within Kre Putin's, within the Kremlin, that coordinates the work of Russia's military industries. The, you know, the people who make the tanks, who make the rockets, who make the missiles, who make the machines with which war is fought. Now, it's been clear to me for some time since midsummer that Medvedev, who is the deputy chair of the Security Council, and which is, you know, Russia's top policy making body, and who was, of course, previously president of Russia and then prime minister of Russia, um, that he's actually the person who is in overall supervision of Russia's military industrial complex, that he's the person who's running it. And clearly, he's doing it effectively. And a decision has now been made that he should be, his position as the person in overall charge of the military-industrial complex should be made official and permanent. So the military-industrial commission is chaired by Putin himself. Medvedev has now been made deputy chair, and that puts him, that formalizes his position as the person who is in overall charge of military production in Russia. Now, I ought to say a few things. Medvedev, who, as I said, was previously president and prime minister, is now deputy chair of the Security Council, which is the top policy-making body. He's been made deputy chair of the military-industrial complex. On paper, he's starting to look like a very powerful man indeed. When he stepped down as prime minister, lots of people thought that, you know, he would fade from the scene. He's done nothing of the sort. He's the most aggressive you know, person. You know, he doesn't actually tweet, but he sends out all these messages on Telegram, which are taking an extremely hawkish position. Very, very critical of the West, by the way. And now he's getting these really powerful posts putting him very close to the military, very close to the military-industrial complex. He chairs the Security Council when Putin isn't there to chair it. Um, he's beginning, dare I say this, to look like a potential successor to Putin. I'm not saying this is what's is. going to happen. But, and he's I mean, held the position beginning, before. And he's held the position before. Now, 
I, I know that there is a view about Medvedev, which has been circulated by many people, that he's some kind of liberal, that he's an Atlantic integrationist, that he's, you know, a member of the fifth column. I've never myself shared that view. Um, I think, on the contrary, the Medvedev we've seen over the last year is the real Medvedev, <laughs> somebody who is very, very antagonistic to the West. Um, and as I said, it seems to me that, as I said, he's putting all the all the pieces have been put into place where he's being prepared to step in when Putin goes. He He's the right age. And as you correctly said, he's done this thing before. And I think, as I said, he's going to do it as a hardline <laughs> leader of Russia with massive experience of every sector of, you know, the Russian economy. He was prime minister. He was. He's now running the military industries. He's and apparently doing so well. By the way, I think that's the other thing to say. I mean, you know, we're getting all these tanks and all these machines being cranked out in vast, large volumes. That wouldn't be happening if Medvedev wasn't doing the doing his job properly. And you know, you're not getting rumors of you know dissonance and dysfunction. It's the suggestion is this is actually quite a smooth operation. So it looks to me that Medvedev is starting to look like a very powerful figure indeed. And at this moment in time, if anything were to happen to Putin, it looks to me as if Medvedev would be there to take over. And eventually when Putin does go, which he will eventually, again, it does look to me as if Medvedev is the obvious person now increasingly to step into Putin's shoes. I can imagine some people will not be happy, those who still want to believe that he's some kind of Atlantic integrationist, but that's the way it looks to me. But let's put that to, you know those issues to one side. The key point is the one you made. This is a permanent appointment, just as the and the creation of what looks like a, a permanent post. So it's an important act in institution building, but it also highlights the extent to which Russia now is re-emphasizing the military. We talked about this enormous military buildup that is underway. The military-industrial complex, the Russian military-industrial complex, is going to be heavy emphasis given to it. and. It's clear now that the Russians expect at least a decade, at least a decade of confrontation with the West, even once this conflict in Ukraine is resolved. So one way or the other, we are into a very, very cold war indeed, colder than it's probably been since the mid-1950s. Yeah, and there was an article in the uh, Global Times the Chinese uh, Global Times, which said that uh, Putin is going to definitely resolve this. I'm paraphrasing what they said, but they said that Putin is definitely going to resolve the Ukraine issue before yes. 2024, because it's 2024 that there is an election, yes. if I'm not That's mistaken, right. in, in Russia. And that will that will most definitely be Putin's last last term, I, I imagine. Yes. Putin's last yes. term, given, given his age. But um, there, there's no doubt in my mind that... While all of this stuff is going on with Ukraine and fighting NATO and, and the U.S. and the EU and sanctions, uh, 
Putin, the Kremlin, they are laying the groundwork for yes. the election in 2024 and a path to uh, someone uh, to take over for when Putin finishes what Absolutely. will most likely be his last term. And that person, in my mind, looks like Medvedev. Actually, yes, I think he is the clear front runner. It's, it's a long ways away, but right now at this moment... If everything continues in the trajectory that that it's going to that, that it looks like it's going to take, then I mean, Medvedev seems to be the most the most capable, qualified, and and he, he's he's hawkish too. I mean, yes, Putin was a moderate. No. This guy, this guy's yeah, no moderate. And, and going back no. to, to the point you made about people would, would call him an Atlanticist back back when he was when he was uh, president, I just think he was. Um, he was following the, the the line that that the Kremlin had at the time, which was Absolutely. seeking friendly friendly relations with the West. That was that was the overarching policy at the time. Correct. Were there mistakes in with regards to Libya and stuff like that? Yeah, there were some mistakes, but it was also, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and uh, and perhaps Russia wasn't in a position at the time yeah. to yes to prevent certain things from happening. Um, that's absolutely that is absolutely correct and, and various other yeah that is absolutely correct yeah, and yeah, of course yeah. what, pe- what people always forget is that in 2008 the person who took the decision to send russian troops to confront georgia at the time of the south ossetia war was medvedev there was lots of suggestions it was really putin but it turns out and it's now established fact that it was medvedev who was in Moscow at the time, Putin was away in Beijing attending the Olympics. It was Medvedev who made that decision, and he moved very fast. He did it very quickly and very decisively. And that is not a move that was friendly to the West. It was a move very much intended to defend Russian interests. And I'm going to add something else. We've spoken a long time about how Russia prepared for the sanctions, how Russian economy proved very resilient in the face of the sanctions, how the Russian military industries were recreated and who all of that sort of thing. It's important to remember that the person who has been prime minister for by far the longest period, he was prime minister from the time of Putin's return in, I think it was 2013, right up until a few years ago, about two years ago, was Medvedev. So the person who was in charge, in effect, of the Russian economy, uh, which prepared the Russian economy to be sanctions resistant, was Medvedev. So this is not the actions of 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 an Atlantic integrationist. Yes, he speaks English. He's very smooth. He's shown some willingness. He showed some willingness in the past. I think he's very disillusioned with that to, you know, speak with some liberals in Russia. I think he has given up completely on any of that. He's a very good lawyer and has a very legalistic approach to things, more even than Putin does. But I've never myself doubted that this is actually a rather hardline man. And I, uh, you know, his his appearance and personality might point in the other direction but the record to me looks completely clear and you're absolutely right to the extent that mistakes were made to the extent that he pursued a policy of engagement with the west 
he was simply following the Kremlin's policy. And the fact that when Obama tried to play him off against Putin, because he did, that was one of the things Obama was doing. That was not Medvedev's fault. And Medvedev didn't fall for it. Yeah. And on a final note, um, who did uh, Xi Jinping meet with the other day? Personally. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that 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 now starting to look. Yeah, that's starting to look even more interesting because one wonders whether Medvedev was sent to Xi Jinping to introduce the part of the purpose was to introduce Medvedev to Xi Jinping as Putin's eventual successor. <laughs> now, there are rumors that Xi Jinping and Putin himself are going to meet in a few days before the new year. Well, we'll see whether that happens. It's not being confirmed, but I mean, it it it, it is, and it was is that meeting between Xi Jinping and Medvedev, which, as I said, was a one-to-one meeting, was a very, very interesting one indeed, and it's suddenly looking even more interesting than um, it did before. All right. Uh, anything else? To add just, to, just to, to just 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 to add to your point. Yeah, just to add to your point uh, about that Global Times article, uh, you're absolutely right. The Chinese clearly expect this whole Ukraine thing to be finally wrapped up by the time of the 2024 elections. And I think this is correct. I think 2023 is going to be the year. It makes complete sense. 2023 is going to be the year when this is all brought to a conclusion. And I'm going to make a further guess that before Putin leaves the scene, if he does it in 2024, he might decide to stay for another term. He's got the legal right to do that. But in that event, I suspect there's going to be um, either amendments to the Chinese-Russian friendship treaty or perhaps um, steps taken towards its renegotiation. Um, It was very interesting that when it was last extended, which is about a year or so ago, two years ago, it was only for five years and not 10 or 20 years as many people had expected. So that suggests that there's going to be a negotiation, a much more detailed negotiation. And I suspect it will start to take, um, start to be applied over the next few months um, especially after the Ukraine conflict is ended. So we'll see where where all that's going to. All right, we will leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. Look for us on Rockfin as well and go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.